0: Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey everyone, it's Oscar. Welcome to the very first Better Rivals podcast on Blue Wire. One of the changes that you'll notice here on Blue Wire is that we'll be doing more live reads of ads. And that means that you will get a live read just like this one talking about Blue Wire's first original podcast, Golden Goal. I don't know about you, but I've been watching a lot of Premier League games now that sports are starting to come back and I'm working from home and, you know, sometimes I'm not actually doing work. I'm watching sports ball. Well, this show gives you 10-minute episodes all about soccer legends and the moments that made them in case you want to get a little bit deeper into the world of soccer. Whether you're just learning about soccer for the first time or are a diehard fan, this podcast is a great listen for everyone. The final two episodes are live right now, or you can binge the entire season to learn about your favorite soccer stars. Check out Blue Wire's Golden Goal, available anywhere you listen to podcasts. Welcome to this week's edition of the Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar Aparicio, and this week it is our very first episode on Blue Wire. Uh, it's the first episode of also my favorite month of the pod, that is Ski Month. And with me this week, settling back into his permanent digs,
1: it's David Newman. Oh, what? What?
0: That's me. Yeah, we're good. It is. We're we're announcing things all over the place. We're over at Blue Wire. First episode of there. It's yep. Ski Month. We're starting out with coverages. And you are now officially a permanent member back. I'm engulfing you in my loving folds. My, my, I am whole again. The, the, the Batman to my Robin. Uh, the, the Ensign Wesley Crusher to my Jean-Luc Picard. I mean, I, Crusher probably wasn't that big of a deal in that show, but still, I loved him.
1: <laughs> uh, it's awesome, man. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to be able to get back to doing, I mean, obviously we've been able to continue doing things uh, pretty consistently throughout the off season the last couple of years. And uh, I, I try to pop in here and there during the season. Um, but yeah, I think um, with kind of, some changes for me and becoming a father and going to be stepping back a little bit from uh, the amount of work that I'm going to be doing for PFF during the season uh, is going to open up the ability for me to come back on the pod full time, and I'm excited about it.
0: If you're new to the show, if this is your first time listening to our dulcet tones, welcome. We basically started this podcast way back in 2012 because we love football and we thought that it was kinesthetic chess. We figured we wanted to look at the Y, the Xs, and Os, uh, and really look at the game with an analytic lens, uh, and all the while, teach you all about it, uh, and maybe have a beer or two along the way. Uh, and So if you're new, welcome. Hopefully, uh, you, uh, you enjoy the show. If you're returning, thanks for continuing to listen to us on the new network. Hopefully you stayed subscribed via iTunes or your subscription area of choice. If you haven't stayed subscribed though, then there's a possibility. There was some technical kerfuffles that we had to work through, which is why we took last week to work through them. Then hopefully you've found the stream uh, and and were able to resubscribe and you won't miss a beat. Uh, But if you've got friends that are wondering, hey, where the hell did David and Oscar go? Let them know. Be like, bro, internet, internet well do a search bluewirepods.com, uh, iTunes, Spotify, still wherever you find all of your podcasts. Uh, and as always we're on the Patreon. So we'll be doing a video breakdown of the ski month over there as well. Uh, and for coverages, you're probably going to want to take a look at that one, but, uh, I'm excited. I'm excited to kick off on blue wire. I'm excited to be here with you, David, my permanent co host. I'm excited to crap open crack open this beer because it's going to be delicious. Doing and, it and now. I want to get started
1: doing it now, man. Yeah. No, i
0: I want to get started because a rundown, two quick stories. One, Santa Clara County gave permission of the 49ers to open up training camp on Thursday. So things are hurtling towards some kind of progress, whether or not uh, that's going to actually result in games on time, who knows. But the NFLPA, I think, announced that there will be no preseason games. The 49ers officially have a 40-foot trailer for testing specifically dedicated to the 49ers. The rookies and first-year players are going to report, I think, tomorrow, Thursday, and Vets report On July 28th, they're going to get daily testing days 5 through 14. It seems like they're going through a lot of the motions like football is going to happen, but a lot of things have yet to be decided that still uh, are, are going to be important for having a full football season.
1: Right. They're they're certainly trying real hard to make sure make it seem like they're going to proceed with the season uh, as close to as planned as possible. Um, It's going to be tough. I mean, obviously, there's a lot working against them, even the start of this. I mean, hasn't gone as well as things like, you know, you look at the NBA by comparison, um, the Premier League when it opened and stuff like that. The number of positive tests that they had uh, were significantly lower than the positive tests that the NFL has already had. Um, so not necessarily even off to the best start and not every team is even reporting or anything yet. So, um, and I know not all the players have even been tested yet, so it's, it's going to be a challenge for sure. I mean, um, obviously we, we hope that, uh, things work out to where we can get some football in some form or fashion as soon as possible, but, uh, it's going to be a tough road ahead.
0: I'd much rather delay the season than false start the season, have to stop it and scrap it. Yep. Uh, I think that's ultimately what everyone's trying to avoid. The, uh, the Kevin Clark did, had a great show, uh, I think it was last week or the week before, with Tom Pelissero talking about some of the details that have yet to be ironed out between the NFL and the, the NFLPA. And one of them really kind of hit me where I was like, oh man, it, it does really go that deep. Like what happens if it is, if you do get covid and you are out for a significant amount of time, is that a non-football injury? And if it's a non-football injury, then what does that do for contracts and payments and pensions and everything? Like, If the league is canceled, do you still accrue a year? Do you accrue a contact year? Does your contract toll? Like, These are the kinds of things that they've got to think about and negotiate through that they haven't done yet. And I'm hoping and hopeful that they do it but there's a lot of stuff that that goes into this that it, it's not just do we play, do we not play, do we get paid, do we not get paid, that has to get ironed out. And, and I don't know. I mean, again, they're behind closed doors or on Zoom calls trying to figure this out, but it's it's a lot of stuff.
1: I got to say, it's kind of disappointing that they're not further along in this process either. Like The NFL was positioned the best of any of the major sports leagues in yeah. the U.S. to be prepared for what does a season look like for us in this environment, right? They had... they all of this started right as their last season ended. And so they had the entire off season period to figure this stuff out, to negotiate all these things. And it just kind of feels like they didn't really take the time to do it. They just kind of thought it was going to go away. And uh, and now they're scrambling a little bit late to, to try and figure all of this stuff out. And so I think, yeah, you would have expected them to have a better plan in place um, to try to, if they're going to actually try to go forward with a season remotely on time here.
0: Yeah. So that's definitely going to be the cloud that hangs over all of the preseason talk so far. But, uh, you know, the the other story is just about Raheem Mostert. Apparently, he and the Niners are in a better place now, according to Ian Rappaport. And I, I it was a story that I certainly expected because, again, Mostert had zero or close to zero leverage. So, of course, they're going to be in a great place because it behooves him to be in a good place with the 49ers. Because as we said on the last show, the, the if he were a free agent running back and he were looking to get paid by any team... That team would be the Niners. Yep. He's just already here, <laughs> so you know I, I think it's it's gonna probably resolve itself positively, and uh, and I hope it does because I want to see Mostert as a Forty Nine er. But I mean, there, there's a parade of backs that that are there to to take his place if indeed he ends up going somewhere else.
1: Yeah, I, I think at this point it's definitely an upset if he's not in a Forty Nine ers uniform come football time this year. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Not a lot of news stories. I didn't want to get in too much into the whole COVID thing because there's, I mean, there's a lot of talk from like the national NFL pods that are covering that much better than we probably could. Um, so we're, we're definitely going to stay a little bit more in our lane and and stay true to the ethos of the better rivals podcast, which is basically to help uh, as we understand football better, help you guys understand football better as well. And so this July is usually always our ski month. We've been doing it for years now and we pick topics That we think are interesting, that we want to talk about, that would introduce either a new scheme, a new concept, a new philosophy, um, or help you watch the game better. And this year, we decided to go to football coverages because it's something that we think everyone should really have a foundation of. Understanding how coverages work and how they're structured. This is, of course, you know, the medium of audio. So we're going to do our best to communicate these concepts to you uh, as we can in a podcast. But if you want to see examples of what these look like, you can go to our Patreon, which is going to be at patreon.com forward slash better and we will have video content to match in addition to all the scouting reports and all 22 we did for the, uh, the draft picks in addition to all the football rewatch that we did over the month of June. So lots of stuff over there in case you want to get some video fixes for us, but we're going to, we're going to talk about a lot. We're going to talk about the basic types of coverages, coverage shells, really why we're going to divide field areas into zones and why we're going to talk primarily about zone coverage. At the end of it all, our hope is that you can put it all together and better identify coverages. When you're watching games on TV, or if you're going back and watching some of the L22 on Game Pass. So if we've done our job correctly at the end of the show, you'll be better equipped to correctly identify coverages when you're watching football.
1: Right. And I I think, you know, this obviously isn't necessarily a new topic for us. If you've been a longtime listener, if you've listened to previous Ski Month related episodes, um, you know that we've touched on coverage stuff in the past, and um, we touch on coverage quite a bit just in our um, week-to-week episodes during the season, and in all of that, it's obviously a big focus um, for us and for the NFL being such a passing league right now. That's always going to be kind of right uh, you know, in front of us there in, in a primary topic of conversation. And so the thing that we wanted to do differently, though, with this one is I, I think there have been some times... Or maybe we started out a little bit too complex, right? Getting into some stuff that, um, while very interesting to us and stuff that we certainly love talking about, if you don't already have kind of a, a solid foundation of understanding how these coverages are structured, what zones are actually, you know, the, the field is divided into, how this stuff is communicated and kind of have that base language and vocabulary that we can reference right to where everybody kind of knows what we're talking about. And on the same page, that's what we're hoping to get out of this episode is kind of get that foundation laid so that as we talk about this stuff over the course of the season and in the future, um, you know, you'll have that baseline understanding of what we're talking about.
0: So let's start with the big umbrella, three basic types of coverage. First, you've got man coverage. And this is one everyone knows and loves, right? You've got your defenders that are assigned to a specific offensive player and will follow him in coverage wherever he goes. One of the easier ones to identify. Um, But then you get to zone, which is defenders being responsible for certain areas of the field and looking to cover receivers who come into their zone. Where the philosophy of man zone or the priority in man, I'm sorry, man zone, Jesus, I'm already starting off great. This is wonderful. <laughs> Where the priority with with man coverage is basically sticking to your man, defending a human. The really idea behind zone is defending an area of the field. And so that's, the, it sounds like a basic divergence, and it, it is, but that has lots of other cascading impacts as you think about what players are trying to do in those defenses. And then lastly, you get to match coverages. And this is a mix of zone and man principles and structurally, very similar to zone coverage but defenders are focused on the actions of specific receivers that then ultimately dictate their assignment rather than focusing on getting to specific areas of the field we're going to focus primarily on zone coverages because that's really the dominant coverage type in both the NFL and in college and it's the coverage type that's least understood when it comes to identifying what players are supposed to do because ultimately we all like to talk about you know who's at fault who was supposed to do what why did this happen and to really understand the why, you have to understand what these players are trying to do. And that understand and that means understanding the base assignments in a lot of these coverages. And when you know what to look for, those base assignments are fairly straightforward to pick out.
1: Right. And and so yeah, again, we're not going to spend a lot of time with man coverage here um, because not that there aren't Nuances related to man coverage that are interesting to get into. But just as far as the scope of what we want to accomplish with this episode, um, zone is really the one that I think makes most sense to look at because it's tough. You know, I think looking at those base categories, right? Those buckets that you can lump these coverages into. I think just the the base descriptions there are fairly easy to follow, right? A, a, a zone defense and the idea of somebody covering an area is easy to grasp and pick up. the The tough part is knowing in what specific areas those specific defenders are responsible for and how that looks, right? The One of the, the first questions that you get anytime you get a wide open receiver and uh, against your team, right, that scores a touchdown or gets this huge gain, you're like, who is responsible for that guy, right? Who was supposed to be covering him? Where did things break down? And in man coverage, if a guy just gets beat and gets behind him, right, that's very easy to see. It's not a difficult thing to pick out a guy that just gets his ass beat in man coverage and lets a receiver wide open. Um, In zones, things get a little bit difficult, right, because receivers are moving between these zones. um, Defenders are having to pass them off. and, And so there's just this gray area here of, okay, when does this stop being this defender's responsibility and start being this new defender's responsibility?
0: Every defensive coordinator is really going to be tasked with protecting the field, covering areas of the field and preventing an offense from gaining yards. And and to do that, they're going to need to divide the field into areas that they're going to cover. And we're going to start with underneath areas that defensive coordinators tend to cover and move backwards from the line of scrimmage. And so we're going to start with these underneath zones. What are these underneath zones? Well, it's really areas of the field that are divided into six different zones or really three zones to each side of the field. If you're working from the inside of the field out, those zones are hook, curl, and flat. Flat's probably the one that you're most comfortable with, the one that you hear about all the time. It's like there's a the defender in the flat, there's a screen in the flat. So you know the flat is the wide part of the, of the area. And then you've got curl, that's right next to that, and then you've got hook, that's right next to that. Rough landmarks for these ones are going to be hook zone, which is basically outside of the hash, the curl zone is going to be the top of the numbers. And then the flat is going to be the wide area to the the wide side uh, of the field. And, and then it's mirrored on the other side. So you've got hook, curl, and flat. So when you're looking at a diagram of the field, you've got your hook areas in the middle of the field near the hashes. You've got the curl area on the numbers. And you've got the flats outside of the numbers.
1: Right. And So what that tells me, right, is um, one, I, if, if I have... I need six defenders, right? If I'm going to cover every single underneath zone, I want to be solid there. I really need six defenders to, to do that well. Um, one thing that you'll see, and, and it's not one that is typically labeled as a specific like area of the field is, uh, what you'll hear referenced as whole players. Um, and it's kind of just a general middle of the field term. Um, you can kind of think if you want to think about it, like as an area of the field, just to give you a frame of reference, you can think of it kind of as like the area between the hooks or, or maybe even encompassing the hook area. Um, depending on the, the specific coverage and what they want that defender to do. But it's kind of just a player that is in the middle of the field. Um, you may hear like low hole or high hold, um, which gives you an indication of the depth that they want that player to be at. So the high hole, for instance, would usually be like a safety that drops down kind of camping in the middle of the field, really looking to be able to jump those intermediate routes and, and kind of play um, that, like, you know, 12 to 18-yard area, whereas low hole would be a little bit lower, closer to the line of scrimmage, something like that. So that's another... Um, term that you may hear for those underneath zones but that's really what i'm looking at right so i need those and it gives me the frame of reference for one okay what are these areas called and if i mention the hook you kind of have a, a mental frame of reference to know what that is and then knowing from a coverage standpoint that if i really want to be sound in underneath coverage ideally i would have you know six underneath guys to take each of those zones and then i should really be able to lock up any underneath throws
0: yeah, And ultimately, these, do- these zones were based on probably patterns that defensive coordinators were seeing often, right? They would see hooks. They would see curls. They would see players going out to the flat. And that's where the origins of these zones started. You've got to defend those areas, defend those patterns. And if you've got six players there, then you basically have just a couple of other players to defend the other deep areas of the zones, right? Um, but ultimately, you've got your underneath players, right? What are those defenders responsible for? Um, underneath defenders are generally responsible for everything under about 15 yards. Most intermediate routes from the offense are going to break anywhere between 12 to 15 yards. And so that means that you want your zone defenders to get depth, especially the underneath ones. You want them to drop to a depth of of 10 to 12 yards. So they will be in a position to play those intermediate routes up to uh, about 18 yards. One thing that I didn't know, uh, really, when I before I started, you know, kind of paying attention to football and taking a look at some of this stuff, is that there's actually like a no cover zone, and and that no cover zone is basically within five yards. If there's someone within five yards of the line of scrimmage, you don't cover them if you're an underneath defender, and that's because you play deep to short, especially in zone coverage. What you're trying to do is basically not get beat deep and rally in front of you, and that means that you're okay with giving up short short receptions. You're okay with giving up something within five yards knowing that you can come up and make a tackle. So zone defenders, especially in these underneath zones, are always going to play deep to short. And there's even an area within five yards of the line of scrimmage where it's not really a cover zone. You're not really going to start your coverage until the player breaks beyond five yards.
1: Knowing that depth, I think, is such a key piece, right? So this, these defenders, especially the ones that are more in the middle of the field, the guys playing in the hook area, in the curl area, Um, these are the guys that in today's NFL probably get the most stressed um, as far as what offenses are kind of trying to do to them, right? And so knowing that these guys need to be able to get that depth back to be able to cushion those intermediate routes, right? Because that's where we 49ers fans should be very familiar with this with Shanahan, and we're going to talk about this uh, in more detail in one of the later Scheme Month episodes, but Shanahan lives in the intermediate area and and attacking these defenders, and so often what you get is is basically uh, you try to pick out one of these underneath guys and you put a receiver in front of him and a receiver behind him and you try to get him to suck up to that that receiver that's short and shallow and right in front of his face so that you open that space behind. And I think as you're uh, if you're kind of more of a novice and you're looking at this stuff um, on all twenty two for the first time because you've pulled up Game Pass and you're trying to figure out who these guys are responsible for, I think that's probably one of the easiest mistakes to make is to put too much blame on the defensive backs and say like, where was the corner? Where was the safety on this? And a lot of times it's these linebackers and safeties that are playing underneath and not getting enough depth to be able to cushion those intermediate routes that are a lot of times the issue when you talk about zone defense.
0: This is also why the throws that are more difficult for a quarterback are throws where you have to make it over the un- the underneath defenders, but in front of the deep defenders. That's a difficult throw for a quarterback to make. And it's because if a defender gets depth, you've basically got to get it over someone who's 12 to 15 yards deep, but in front of someone who's like 18 to 22 yards deep, that window begins to shrink and is even more difficult to hit if your underneath defender gets depth. If they don't get depth, that's a much easier throw to make. And so that's why the underneath defender and the position of that underneath defender is going to be super important. And you have to remember, too, that there's a reason that Shanahan makes his living in this underneath area because there's six different zones. That's where a lot of passes in the NFL are completed. And you're throwing it against linebackers. You're throwing it against you know people that aren't really meant to cover. They have run first responsibilities. And now you're gonna ask them to cover a tight end or a running back or work in space and really be good in coverage when that might not be what they were drafted for or what they were paid for. So this this is a weakness really when you think of the type of player that's in the zone that really smart coaches like Shanahan choose to exploit. And they do it very, very well. Um, but it's because there are six underneath zones that they've got to cover. And sometimes They can't cover those zones very well. uh, And and so you begin to pick them apart.
1: Absolutely. And so that's, yeah, I I think if you had one takeaway for these underneath defenders, um, it would be depth, right? What is the, if you're looking at something kind of freeze frame it right as the quarterbacks letting the ball go and be like, okay, where are these underneath defenders at? how deep are they from the line of scrimmage, right? If, if you see a linebacker that's five yards off the ball as it's being thrown, I guarantee, I don't care what the scheme is. I don't care who the defensive coach is. If they're playing zone defense, that's not where that guy's supposed to be. Like he needs to be getting depth to cushion those deeper routes. And then you get sucked up late, right? You make them throw it to that underneath no cover zone. Then you rally up and make the tackle. That's the way that these guys are, are kind of coached to approach this. David, Earl Mitchell would like a word. I, I,
0: I don't know. That Man, like, he get don't get this count this as an
1: underneath role. coverage defender. <laughs> <laughs> Just because that dude's round and taking up space, like, I mean, come on. Come on.
0: He defends lots of blades of grass. I'll give him the low okay. hole.
1: He can get the low hole. We'll <laughs> let him try to, like, spy and, like, pick up a back or something like that. Like There's, run there's after a
0: circle you. joke. There's a circle joke in there, and I'm not quite sure what it is, but I'll get there. eventually. <laughs>
1: uh, but, but then we get to the deep <laughs> zones.
0: What, what are those deep zones? These are probably the roles that you're more familiar with because they've made it into the parlance of, of the coverage shell. And so we're just more familiar with them due to the nomenclature. The deep area of the field can be, really be split between two to four zones depending on your shell. And these are most likely referred to as, you know, cover two. You've got your two deep defenders or you split the field in half. You've got cover three, three deep defenders. You divide your field in the thirds. Or cover four, when you've got four deep defenders, and that means you've got quarters, because, well, 25 cents quarters, you get the the thing. Defensive uh, coaches, when it comes to naming stuff, not the most inventive, (laughs) generally, as a populace. Uh, And so cover two, cover three, and, and cover four, which is quarters. Ultimately, David... What are these defenders responsible for? Because it does change a bit depending on the coverage
1: shell. Right. So I think the the first thing to point out with these deep defenders is there there is actually kind of two different versions of these deep defenders. And so we'll start with what I, like I'll just refer to as true deep defenders, which are gonna be those deep half players or the deep third players, right? So if I'm playing cover two, cover three, my deep defenders in those coverages their responsibility is really staying over the top of everything, right? They want to make sure that they are deepest, uh, the deepest and the deeper, deepest receiver in their zone, right? So they got to stay over the top of them. Once routes hit that kind of 18 to 20 yard area, right? So I've moved from the intermediate zone where I really should be expecting help from my underneath coverage. If, if they've ran 18 to 20 yards downfield and they still haven't made any sort of break, it's a, it's a deep defender responsibility at that point. And so the, those true deep defenders, the key part of with them is that they have no run responsibility, right? Because their job in, it entails getting back and making sure that they're deeper than deepest, um, they can't really be bothered looking at the run and, and risk getting sucked up at the snap because if they make a mistake and they make a poor run pass read – well then that's a huge play for your defense or against your defense, excuse me. And so that's really a key thing is at the snap if if there it's a true deep defender playing one of those roles, you should see them moving backwards at the snap. Doesn't matter what's going on in the backfield, doesn't matter if there's a play action fake, they shouldn't be reacting to any of that stuff. The other side of that is how guys play in quarters, right? Which gets a little bit more complicated because they do introduce some run responsibility with their safeties there. This to me is one
0: of the more important parts of of the responsibilities of the coverage defenders. You've got run first players and you've got pass first players and and it sounds super basic, but it really does go into the structure of the defense. Who's responsible for what at the snap and, and what you then are expecting that defender to do. Because this is why I think underneath defenders, oftentimes it's so difficult for them because they take that false step up on play action because they've got run first responsibilities and you throw right behind them because they have to respect the run. This is why play action is so effective. This is also why there's more stress on underneath coverage defenders because the offense is already at an advantage because they know what they're going to run or they know what they're going to pass. And the defense generally doesn't. And so the offense is already added an advantage and that defense has to react. And so what, they, what, what defensive coordinators do is they give their defenders rules. They say, okay, your first responsibility, the first thing you've got to look out for is the run. And then you can go to pass. And for some of these deep defenders, it is okay. You are pass and pass only. Do not worry about the run. And, and it's important because this is how offenses begin to work the rules of that defense. If they know that they have a run first defender... They're going to give them a run fake where they're going to have to fill a specific hole and then throw right behind them or throw them to the opposite side or do something that really messes with their keys. Um, and that's what Shanahan also does very, very well. He understands the rules that defenders are generally going to engage in. And he begins to break those rules down by throwing concepts that they just cannot cover if they're doing their job correctly.
1: Right. And that, that is exactly, it's, it's such a good point. Like that's why play action is successful and it's why having a good run game Doesn't really matter in terms of how successful your play action game is going to be is because until defensive coordinators start telling those underneath defenders that, hey, don't worry about the run, you don't have run responsibility any longer until that happens and they can figure out a way to still cover all their gaps and get all their run fits squared away. They're just just—they're going to have to react if you show them a run fake because it's their first responsibility. And if you sell it well, if you make them believe even for a second that it's going to be a run play, they have to respect that and come up and play the run. And then by the time you realize that it's passed, it's too deep, right? It's too late. You've already created that space that you want to behind them. and And you're going to be able to take advantage of that as an offense.
0: And quarters, I think it's important to note those, those interior safeties in quarters. If you're dividing the back half of the deep area in into the fourths, the two guys on the inside. So not that usually in a, in a typical quarters, like you've got your, your corners that are going deep and then your two safeties that are in the middle of the field. It is important to note that those safeties do have run fit responsibilities at the snap. And so oftentimes if you're looking for, for coverages and you're like, all right, is this cover four? or What's going on? If you've got that safety and they're taking a couple steps down initially and then drop back, it's like, okay, that, that's usually a tip off. That, that's how their first steps at the snap usually give you or tip you to their initial responsibility. And then they go with the flow of the play. Um, it, oftentimes when we're watching film, at first I thought it was kind of annoying. And then now I, it's kind of indispensable. I can't live without it. Um, you basically zoom back and forward on, at the snap of the ball to see what the person's step is right after the snap of the ball happens. And you just basically go back and forth. Dave, when I would watch film with David, David <laughs> would do this all the time. And I'm like, Dave, what the hell are you doing? Uh, and then he's like, look at the foot, just like right after the snap. And then a bunch of other stuff happens like, oh, I get it. It's like the zone step. They all move to one side first, and then they go to their blocks. Or on defense, it's like, that's the run step. You can see a lot, really, in the, fir- in the player's first step when you're looking at the snap of the ball, because that's going to give you their initial responsibility.
1: Right. And we, I mean, that's all we're trying to do, right? When we're kind of watching this film as an outsider, um, you can arm yourself with some information that gives you, uh, again, an idea of kind of like how this stuff is structured and and the things to look for. Um, But ultimately, you're always at a disadvantage, right? Because you don't know, again, as as so often um, pointed out, you don't know the play call, right? You don't know exactly how these guys are taught. But the thing I think that's always kind of fair to assume is that NFL players are going out there and they're doing, they're trying to do their job to the best of their ability, right? Nobody's like going out there and intentionally fucking up over and over. So you can learn a lot from those initial few steps because the initial steps are what they are planning to do before the snap, right? It's what they intend to do before they have a chance to really react to anything react to changes that might alter their assignment. Um, And so you can gain a lot from, I think, all areas of football, but especially in coverage, you know, and looking at some of these secondary players and coverage defenders, where they're moving with those initial few steps is going to tell you a ton about what their responsibility is on that play.
0: And for the 49ers specifically, when you know that defenses always have someone covering certain areas of the field, when you know they're always going to have someone in that hook zone, when they're always going to try to cover that curl zone of the flat, and you look at a play and you're like, they don't have anyone covering that that hook curl area. Someone did something wrong. And and then it's like, okay, who typically fills that hook curl area? Well, it's typically an underneath defender, typically a linebacker, sometimes maybe a safety. Then you start to be able, you look at what those players are doing and you say, okay, I think this is the person that did something wrong. This person usually plays here. And that's how you can begin to really suss out who is responsible for a specific area. Because at the same time that players are going out there and trying to do their job effectively, uh, defensive coordinators are generally not going to abandon covering certain areas of the field (laughs) altogether. Despite what you may think about dropping a defensive lineman in coverage, they're still trying to cover an area of the field and not leave themselves overexposed because they know they have to cover that blade of grass with something or someone. Um, and it's and it's rare that you get it just completely abandoned areas of, of the field where defensive coordinators is like, nah, we're gonna go ahead and give them the curl flat area because why not? Uh, because <laughs> offensive coordinators and, and players in the NFL are too good and they'll just take that yardage and it's easy money. So when you go in with those two base assumptions, you know, here are the zone areas. Someone's got to cover them. And players are generally going to try to do their job. And your first step gives you your assignment. You can really begin to put together what this play is supposed to look like, even if you don't know the exact play call.
1: Right. And a lot of times on those bus situations and when you have breakdowns in coverage, I mean, sometimes, right, you're just not going to be able to to, like give even an educated guess as to like who was responsible for it. But a lot of times it is really like, okay, one of these things doesn't look like the other. This one player here is doing something that's different from what everybody else on the field is is doing and trying to accomplish. It's probably a safe bet that he's the one that screwed up, right? All 10 other guys um, didn't screw up and he was the one guy that was doing it right. Right. The odds are not in his favor there. And so, yeah, I, I think that's, um, certainly one thing to look at and then, yeah, wrapping it up, I think with, as far as like dividing these, um, field zones up is, is you have to remember as we start to look into like the specific coverages here. Okay. If I were really wanting to cover all of these zones, how many defenders do I need? 10 defenders, right? Remember, I got four potential deep zones that are covered only if I'm in in that quarters coverage and cover four. And I've got six potential underneath zones. And so if I wanted to cover all of those, I need 10 defenders. Obviously, most uh, defensive coordinators aren't putting 10 defenders in coverage. And that's where we start to get into um, kind of the specific coverages and, and what zones they're leaving open or maybe leaving a little bit more stretched.
0: Yeah, so really what we'll get to is how to put it all together. How to identify what coverages the defense is in based on the number of underneath defenders and the number of deep defenders because the the structure of defenses is basically giving up some things to gain a pass rush so you're not overexposed in any one area. But before we get to that, we're going to get to a quick word from our sponsor because sports are coming back, and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. Major League Baseball is finally kicking off this week, and there's no better place to start wagering than our exclusive partners, Bet Online. Check out all the odds, futures, and props to bet on, all available 24 7. On the entertainment side, Floyd Mayweather joins the Bet Online team to bring you a brand new segment, The Ice Is Right. Floyd talks about his jewelry and gives you the chance to bet on the cost of his bling to win some great prizes. Visit betonline.ag for all your odds and up to date sports news. Remember to use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. online, your online wagering experts. All right, so putting it all together. If you can identify the number of pass rushers and the number of deep defenders, which gives you the coverage shot, then you should be able to figure out how many underneath defenders you have and what their role is on the play. So for the following examples, we're going to assume a standard four-man pass rush and seven coverage defenders. So, David, if I see five underneath defenders, what does that tell me?
1: Immediately, I know that I've got two defenders left, right? I've got, my again, my four-man pass rush. If I've got five... Seven in coverage. Yep, seven in coverage. And so if I've got five underneath defenders, that means I have two. That tells me that this is likely cover two. Right. Almost certainly, especially if you see, um, you know, again, kind of the zone drops. And I, I realize the zone defense, that's pretty much my only option with this kind of pass rush. So I can I can glean the coverage from that. And then as I start to look, OK, what are those underneath roles and responsibilities for the underneath defenders, Right. Because I think the deeper stuff is relatively straightforward as again, like we mentioned, as far as like how they're dividing the field up. And, and there's, again, certainly more nuance there. Um, as far as what their keys and, and rules are going to be based on the number of receivers of their side of the field and certain formational looks that they get. And, and that's a lot of stuff that I think is outside the scope of this podcast for right now. But again, if you imagine those deep defenders just dividing the field up evenly, cover two, each of them are responsible for half the field. So what are my five underneath guys responsible for? Well, generally, if we kind of work inside out, I'm gonna have a whole player right in the middle, that kind of you know general whole term somebody in the middle of the field. I don't have six defenders right, so I can't cover every single one of those underneath zones, but I can get pretty close with with cover two, and so I usually have a whole player there that's kind of hanging out between the hashes. Um, If you get a a Tampa two variation, this is the guy that's going to be running back to kind of more the deep middle of the field and almost playing uh, like a deep middle third and, and, and kind of turning into almost a cover three type look. Right. Um, Then as I work out, I've got two curl defenders um, that are going to be again, landmarks for them looking to get roughly top of the numbers um, in, in their drops. And then I've got my flat defenders outside, which are usually going to be in kind of a standard cover two look, um, my two outside cornerbacks. And so I can, as soon as I see the number of defenders, uh, that are dropping back the number of deep defenders, I know that these are the responsibilities of those five underneath guys.
0: Yeah. So it doesn't mean that in this case that because you've got six underneath zones that you need six players to cover all six of those zones. It means that you're basically taking, Three players, right? One in the hole, and then you've got two, or really five players. Two, one in the hole, two curl players, two flat players to cover those six zones with five players. Now, if you have four underneath defenders, this tells you you've got three deep defenders. Remember, it's just a multiple of seven, assuming that you're rushing four and dropping seven. So if I've got four underneath defenders, I've got three deep defenders. Well, what coverages have three deep defenders? Well, this is where the Niners live. Cover three three deep defenders divide in the field in the thirds or cover six. And the reason it's called cover six is because you've got quarter, quarter, half. So it's like, I, I don't know. It, the, the, how you get to six with this is always so weird to me. The math doesn't but line it, up, it, man. It, it really doesn't <laughs> because you would, you would think it's like, you know, I don't know, four, four, two, uh, which is not cover six. It's like cover 10. Uh, but it's really, it's cover four
1: on one side, cover two on the other. If you want to get your six, which you get six, way, but yeah. Uh, which
0: is why ultimately, you know, that's going to be one of the, the areas that that's one of the potential coverages that you've got with three deep defenders, cover three or cover six. So when you think of the roles of the underneath defender here for cover three, you're going to have two hook curl players. So you're going to have two players that are basically on either side uh, of that, like of hash area out to the numbers covering that hook curl area. And and really it, the, the priority is going to be in the name. So a hook curl player is going to drop to the hook first and then work to the curl if they don't have any threats in that hook area. So it's a way to, again, tell that defender what your responsibility is in the name of what they've got to do in the zone, work hook to curl. And then you've got two curl flat players. Similarly, their responsibility is in the name. You drop to the curl and then work to the flat late. So if you've got those defenders, if you look at a cover three shell for the Niners, they're standard cover three, two hook curl, if you think of like inside linebackers, they're going to work to the hook, then go to the curl. You've got a curl flat defenders, which are going to move to the curl and move out to the flat. And so with four defenders, you're going to try to cover those six underneath zones, trying to gain another player deep.
1: And this is because, right, this is when when we really start to see these underneath defenders be stretched, right? So cover two, really strong as far as your underneath coverage, right? I've got nearly every single one of those zones covered. Those guys really aren't stretched that much. They got a little bit extra ground because I've got five cover in six areas. But it's really here when you get to the four underneath defenders, you get to your cover three looks where guys start to be stretched a little bit in that underneath zone. And that's why they have the the kind of double responsibility right as you mentioned in the name the hook curl is the first area we really start to see this um and so that's knowing that that's the order of importance is big right because there are going to be routes that they get against cover three where they just can't necessarily cover anything you've got four guys trying to cover six areas and if i as an offense send you know, either five, all my five eligible receivers to underneath routes while I'm not going to be able to cover them, or I can kind of look to overload one side, right? Maybe I send three receivers to one side of the field and I've only got my two underneath defenders on that side of the field. They're going to be stretched. And so this gives you kind of an order of importance for those underneath guys and where they're going to be looking as first priority. And then if they're not threatened in that, they're going to work out late to that second priority.
0: Now, the underneath rolls for cover six are a little weird, David, because now you're, you've are you got two flat players. You've got a hook curl player, and you've got a hook player. Work me through how those underneath defenders work when you're playing a cover six, which is, again, quarter, quarter, half. So you've got basically cover four to one side and cover two to the other. This actually is one of the 49ers' favorite coverages, especially when they're in third and long. Uh, they like to play a lot of quarters or cover six. They also will go to uh, a when, when they see a three by one, they'll check to cover six often. Uh, when, when you see three wide receivers or three eligible receivers to one side and one wide receiver on the other, they'll play the cover two over to the three wide receiver side uh, and then, or cover four to the, the other wide receiver side and then cover two to the single wide receiver side. So what does the underneath responsibility look like for cover six?
1: So again, remember cover six being um, a mix of cover four and cover, six, or cover two, excuse me. So your underneath roles are kind of split to the side of the field um, that's playing cover two. You're going to get cut more cover two type roles. Um, to the other side of the field that's playing cover four quarters, you're going to get quarters type roles. And so usually what you would get in quarters, we'll start on, on that side, is you're going to have, right, I only have three underneath defenders, which we're going to get to in a minute, and... Um, And so I would have one guy in the middle and then I've got a flat player wide. And some guys, uh, excuse me, some teams will make that more of a curl flat player and and they want them to kind of hug inside a little bit more and not be too quick to get out wide. Otherwise, things just get too stretched and thin there. So you could potentially, depending on the team, make one of those two flat players that you mentioned. You can make one of them a curl flat. It's going to be kind of team dependent, but usually... I've got my one flat defender that's like an underneath guy that's a a linebacker safety that's starting closer to the box, working out to the flat. And then on the opposite side of the field to my cover two side, I have my outside corner, right? Just like I would, like we talked about a minute ago, um, with the the cover two shell and the five underneath defenders. That outside corner on that side of the field is going to be my flat defender. Um, And then the the interior guys, that's where you get your hook curl um, and your hook. And so that's going to be usually the the hook curl player getting out on the quarter side and the hook player on the, the cover two side. So you've got, you've got five
0: underneath defenders, likely cover two, you've got four underneath defenders, likely cover three or maybe cover six. And when you've got three underneath defenders, this tells you that you've got four deep defenders, and that means you're likely in cover four or quarters. This was the defense that the Niners used a whole hell of a lot this year under Robert Sala to great effect and was probably the greatest change that they made in the secondary this year. They played a ton of quarters for the 49ers. And while of course the, the rap on them is that they are the, you know, cover three team in the Seattle cover three of this that, and the other, I think last year, you know, quarters may have been one of the quote unquote innovations that they really rode to the Super Bowl because they played that coverage a lot. And it worked really well for them, especially with their personnel. But if you see the Niners with three underneath defenders, David, it tells you they're in quarters. And what are the responsibilities in those underneath zones with just three players?
1: Right. So again, you're, you're really stretched thin here. And as we alluded to, those outside guys... Um, will either sometimes be flat, just pure flat defenders, sometimes curl flat defenders, depending on um, what the defense wants to be able to take away, what route combinations they think they might be seeing. So if they want those um, wider underneath the players to kind of hug a little bit more inside and not be too quick to get wide of the numbers, they'll make them more curl flat players so that they kind of get on top of the numbers first and then wait a little bit before they break outside of the flat. And then that leaves only one guy in the middle, right, in the middle of the field there that's going to usually be a whole player. Um, and he has a tough responsibility, um, you know, if you were to play pure spot drop zone. Um, now, a lot of quarters teams don't do that. Um, and so they're going to use that whole player a little bit differently. They're usually going to have him kind of key up the number three receiver, which is usually a back or a tight end or something like that, so he's going to kind of focus on that one guy. But if again, for for our purposes now, and dropping into zones and being just in a specific area of the field, you're going to have that one guy in the middle that's just kind of hanging out between the hashes and and looking for anything that comes his direction.
0: Now, the other thing that happens with three underneath defenders is is really when you get to blitzes. Because while our focus has been on a standard four-man pass rush, three underneath defenders is also the most common structure for the most heavily used zone blitz, which is the fire zone. And there's lots of ways to bring rushers in a fire zone. The, the, the pattern of rush will change, but the basic structure of a fire zone usually doesn't. It's three deep defenders, three under, and five rushers. And so in fire zones, that curl flat player becomes a skiff player or SCF. Again, not super inventive, seam curl flat. And what do we know about the order of the name? It tells you the responsibility of the player. And so they are responsible first for any seam routes, any verticals. And then if they get no threats to the seams, they move to the curl. And then if they see no threat in the curl area, then they move to the flat. And so when you're dealing with really stressed, because that, I mean, think about like six in coverage. You've got six players to cover a lot of field, and you're basically dividing the deep into thirds and the underneath area, which is typically six zones now. You're only covering that with three players. So you basically have one player to each side covering all three zones, both the, the hook area, the curl area, and the flat. And so they start... By defending against the immediate deep thread in the middle of the field which is a seam go to curl and then go to flat and sometimes we heard that be called the skiff
1: right and you may be thinking whoa, whoa, whoa like whoa you guys when you're talking about the 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 underneath zones the deep zone seam wasn't anywhere in there like where is where is the seam coming from um it's kind of a special use case here um but it was common enough that we wanted to uh really talk about it so, so the seam is kind of the area um, roughly between like just kind of inside the numbers. So it's kind of between the, the numbers and the hashes. Um, if you think about an offense, if I've got two receivers to each side of the field, evenly spaced, um, and they all ran straight vertical up the field, right? So I have four vertical routes, those inside receivers in the slot, they would be running to the seam area of the field. And so that exact route combo is why these curl flat uh, defenders become skiff defenders because if they run all four of those those receivers vertical – And, uh, you stay in just kind of a basic cover three, three deep, three under, well, you don't have enough guys. And so they want to be able to protect those seams because it's a common area that you're going to see offenses throw to against cover three. And so they want to have those guys carry that first because that's the, the primary threat, right? That's the most dangerous route for those guys. If they want to throw it underneath, cool, we'll react to that late, try to come up and make a tackle.
0: It's pretty amazing to me how there's one play on offense, I feel, that's that's changed a lot of defense in general, and that's four verticals. There have been so many defenses that have basically been built to stop four verticals because it's so effective. Because ultimately, when you have more offensive players in an area than you've got defenders, your offense is going to be right if you've got a quasi-competent quarterback. And that's not always the case. There are teams that would love to have a quasi-competent quarterback, but a lot of teams in the NFL do. And, and so you really are trying to make sure that you don't have too few defenders in a given area, and that's why you see some of these rules change. But, that, I mean, quarters is basically a, re- a reaction to, to four verts. You've got the steam curl flattened fire zone that's going to try to g- g- protect against four verticals, uh, and four verticals is still pretty deadly yeah. um, both at both college and the NFL level. Um, it's something that is successful over and over and over again. I'm pretty sure the Texas offense last year had two plays in its playbook. Uh, One of them was a run and the other was a pass. And that pass was four verticals, basically to Colin
1: Johnson. I thought you were going to say four verticals from two by two and then four verticals from three by one. Um, But no, Uh, yeah, there, there, there are certain things that offenses can do that defenses have to have an answer for, right? And four verticals is one of those because nobody, no no defense wants to give up the big play. Um, if you ask nearly every defensive coordinator, like what are his priorities? What are his goals for the season? What is he asking his guys to really do? Um, you'd be pretty hard pressed to find one that doesn't want to say limit big plays, right? Nobody wants to give up the big play, um, give up these easy touchdowns down the field. And so four verticals. It, it's,
0: on the, it's on the coach speak bingo card. Right. It's a uh, totally we've got to stop the run, play play aggressive football, and and you wanna limit the big play. Wanna take that's the ball that, away? That, yeah, that's the yep. resume of every defensive
1: coordinator ever in the history of football. We wanna be aggressive but cautious. Um, you know. <laughs> all sorts of bullshit in there. But yeah, there, there are, there are some of those things, you know, three by one is another thing. So, um, you know, when you look at the distribution of the receivers to each side of the field, how defenses respond to those different distributions is going to be, um, something that you have to be prepared for because a lot of times when you go three by one, which is three receivers to one side of the field, a single receiver to the other, you're trying to overload the coverage to the three receiver side, right? You're saying that if, if you play a normal, um, kind of zone defense as we've just outlined it for you. Um, you're going to have problems because you're not going to have enough defenders over there to be able to cover everybody. And so you have to be able to have answers for that stuff. And and that's where you start getting into, um, kind of more of the detailed rules that the defenses are using play in play out.
0: If you remember just a few things from this episode,
1: it's that there are six
0: underneath zones and moving from the inside out, Uh, from the half the field, it's hook, curl, flat. And then on the other side, hook, curl, flat. Uh, And then you've got your deep zones, which are easily defined by the coverage shell, three, two, or four. And the number of underneath defenders can tell you really what the defensive structure is. Five underneath defenders. If I subtract that from seven coverage defenders, it's likely cover two. I've got two deep guys. Four underneath defenders. It's likely cover three or cover six, because in both of those, I've got three deep players. And if I've got just 3 underneath defenders, well, that likely tells me that I've got 4 deep defenders, so it's cover 4, or I might be looking at a zone blitz because zone blitz are usually zone blitzes are structured with 3 deep defenders and 3 underneath defenders because you give up a coverage defender to get an extra rusher, leaving those 6 coverage defenders to cover more areas of the field. Because ultimately a defensive coordinator is going to be all about stopping Uh, the offense from getting to specific areas of the field, defending blades of grass and in zone coverage, it really is going to prioritize not getting beat deep, allowing coverages in front, allowing receptions in front of you in some cases, and then rallying to tackle.
1: And so next week, if you want to kind of think about um, take this one step further, right? Start thinking about the, what we're going to talk about next week, which is how do offenses attack these coverages, right? Where are the weaknesses in these coverages? You can kind of figure it out, right? If you piece it together, if you remember, okay, what are my 10 potential zones that I've got uh, to cover as a defense? If I'm pulling defenders out, if I know I'm in cover three, right? I've pulled out a couple of underneath defenders. I've pulled out a single deep defender. Where does that leave my gaps? Where are my defenders stretched, right? So that's the kind of stuff you can start thinking about that we're going to talk about more next week when we look kind of at this from an offensive perspective. Um, and also can't recommend enough. I know this is, is a tough thing to kind of grasp sometimes, um, especially if you're new to it from uh, just a purely audio format check out the Patreon. We're going to have videos up that that give you visual examples of this. We'll have some diagrams, we'll have some film examples, um, stuff that can really help kind of cement that in for you and so you know what you're looking for.
0: Yeah, I'll also be tweeting out a picture of these zones as well on Twitter. So you can get this as a visual guide as well. Uh, And so you'll be able to at least get a visual of the field and the zones that are in that area. Uh, And then some video with some coverage examples, specifically with the 49ers, will be out on the Patreon. But you can follow me on Twitter to get that image. It's at Better Rivals. David, where can they follow you? That will be at PFF underscore David. It's good to be back on the mic, my friend. Indeed. It's good to get back into this. It's good to have you back as a permanent part of the podcast life, uh, even though apparently we do everything together, including have babies <laughs> one day apart. Uh, it's true. I'm still waiting for the uh, matching about-to-throw-up onesie pictures, by the way. Dude. Uh, we're going to we're gonna have to do that sometime soon. Cannot wait. Cannot wait. Yeah, espe- especially since uh, both babies have now projectile vomited uh, from, I guess you could say, both ends at different Dude. times. Uh <laughs>
1: It, you, like if you're not a parent, um, you would be surprised. Um, it, like people who are parents are just shaking their heads and laughing at our asses for not knowing that this was coming. but yeah, that they they can really send that stuff with some force out either end. Um, it is quite surprising. Yes. Yeah, they,
0: they all come prepackaged with uh, Jim Harbaugh quotes. They all attack the day with a force unknown oh to mankind, an enthusiasm unknown to mankind, I should say. But yeah, thanks again for tuning in to our first Blue Wire episode of the Better Rivals podcast. Uh, and as always, go Niners.